comic. Why so serious? What? I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger mission. Logic. Dance off, bro! Me and you! Comic. What? Logic. this death. Jean, it was just a dream. You wander through the willows in the forest you were found. I've been called many things over many lifetimes. Trying to hide. Ra, Krishna, Yahweh. Ever since the world found out about mutants, there have been secret societies who see them as some kind of second coming or sign of God. They believe that tens of thousands of years ago, an ancient being was born the world's first mutant. Hey everyone, welcome to Comic Book Logic. I am your host, Joe, whose mutant power is the power to produce phlegm Ugh. more than any other human being on the planet at this moment. And you don't need to tell me I'm covered in it. <laughs> <laughs> and with me, as always, is my co-host, Kevin, yeah. whose mutant powers to recall any 80s song known to mankind. Mm, most of them. Except you didn't know the who, who wrote uh, St. Elmo's Fire. You know, and it's one of those where I knew that I didn't know it, and I was like, I, I know that I don't know any other songs that that guy did. He's yeah. just known for that. So. Good jam. It's terrible jam. <laughs> it's like a it's like a song that should have been in this movie, and this movie that we're talking about is X-Men Apocalypse. Ah, Dick. Apocalypto. <laughs> Why? Why wasn't Mel Gibson Apocalypse in this movie? He would have been so great. Because they didn't want that no, on set. No. They didn't. They didn't want like a guy playing a pharaoh who really, really hates the Jews. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it would be awkward. <sighs> all right. So we're actually going to start this podcast off like we start off all podcasts. Um, I'm going to ask you, Kevin, what did you know about the X-Men? Oh, yeah. You know, this is actually our first, first time X-Men talking movie. about yep. an X-Men movie. Wow. Uh, well, um, a bit. Uh, I guess I'm I'm familiar with them sort of as a, a, a concept. Uh, the 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 '90s TV show, the, the cartoon, was something that I remember somewhat yeah. fondly. Although I was trying to remember like specific things about it, and I really can't, other than everyone being wearing yellow, wearing yellow. Yeah, yeah I just remembered a lot of yellow. That was about it. Um, I remember Wolverine going a lot on that show, <laughs> bub. And, and I, also, Gambit was always Moshery. <laughs> I have a casual accent, no, you know. <laughs> really steering hard into everyone's <laughs> oh, just goofy affectation. <laughs> so true. Um, but I do remember them, uh, or I or I remember, or I just know this about them, sort of having been created uh, around the time, and you you'll probably get into it. But the idea of them being created um, as being really the first sort of comic book characters, like superhero comic book characters who were um, shown to have flaws. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave it there, I guess. Yeah, you're uh, you're 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 close. Um, you know, X-Men uh, number one debuted in 1963. It was hot off the heels of Spider-Man and it was kind of dealing with those same issues of teenage angst and how to deal with powers that you're not in full control over. You know, like you have someone like Superman who is all just 
the perfect in every way, shape, and form. You know, all superheroes up to that point were were heroes. These were real people who were given powers, and the stories were like, how do you deal with this? Not only do I have lasers that shoot out of my eyes, but also I'm in love with this girl who's not in love with me back. How do I deal with that? Yeah. You know, there was there's a lot of like teen kind of angsty romance hunger games crap going on at the same time <laughs> right yeah um it did pre ya novels yeah this basically. was as, this was as close to ya novels as you could get before such a thing existed um the original x-men team was charles xavier the professor proverbial professor x who discovered the x gene he just loved slapping his name on crap <laughs> everything's x now <laughs> everything is x ah now. the x it means x-men <laughs> to uh, the x chair <laughs> which is my chair and to the x games which are not what you think <laughs> it's monopoly <laughs> <laughs> um charles xavier professor x uh archangel well, also known as Angel in 1963, Beast, Cyclops, Iceman, and Marvel Girl, who went by also Jean, who just went by Jean Grey. I don't think she went by Marvel Girl for very long in the actual comic book run. Hmm. Um, it actually went for about a good 20 years, and then the early 1980s, uh, the team was replaced by the all-new X-Men, which is a lot more of the people that we recognize, Wolverine, Storm, uh, Colossus, Sunspot was one of them. I don't know if you know or aware of him. No. Um, and the, yeah, so that was like kind of the the X-Men that w- was popular back then. Uh, X-Men are very famous for having the weakest origin story of all time. <laughs> Stan Lee, when he was creating the X-Men, basically said, I give up! They're mutants! <laughs> Which was basically his way of saying, uh, I think, believe in an interview in 2004, he said, not everyone can get bitten by a radioactive spider. Like, these sort of chances just yeah. can't keep happening. So he had to come up with a way of creating new heroes where they didn't necessarily have to have a very complicated origin. These people were born this way, and they come to their mutant powers at puberty. Yeah. Where most of us just get really squeaky-voiced and acne. Some people get to, you know, grow blue fur and jump around. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you spoke to the police about what you believe you witnessed here yesterday. You want to know my powers? Know who I am? See what I can do. Think of the person you love most in your life. Now that person will know what it is to lose someone they love. Henrik, proszę cię. Nie rób tego. My name isn't Henrik. My name is Magneto. Um, so X-Men Apocalypse. Um, yeah. Where do we begin? This is the third movie in, in the actual trilogy of of the new X-Men trilogy, I guess you could say. Yeah. The, the sixth movie in the, the, the sex time traveling yeah. young X-Men trilogy. So this one takes place about, I think it's seven years after the events of Days of Future Past, um, where we learn that at the end of Days of Future Past that the entire history of the X-Men has been rewritten. So everything that we know is is pretty much gone. Sure. So now they're creating a new timeline in the 19... in the 19, And here we are in 1983. Um, Duran third album just came out, right? <laughs> Not really that good. 83. Uh, yeah, 83 would have been Seven and the Ragged Tiger, yes. which, aside from the song The Reflex, that <laughs> record sucked. Um, Return of the Jedi is in theater. Uh, America is falling deeper in love with Harrison Ford, not really realizing they're bottoming out on his talent. Um, 
<laughs> Reagan's in his third year, you know. He's uh it's morning in America, ladies and gentlemen. And ah. that's where we that's where we start off. Mm-hmm. Uh we actually start off in three billion BC or whatever that's some takes place. crap. Yeah. Who cares? We, it's the Big movie CG Egypt. Yeah, the movie takes place in nineteen ninety nine's The Mummy. <laughs> And Brendan Fraser is nowhere to be seen. Uh, um, no, actually, we ha- we see a big guy named Apocalypse who's going through like this really terrible CG like pyramid town where they're carrying him on the on the yeah the he's Palaquin, worshipped as a god worshipped as a god and he comes in with four other people with various Egyptian looking masks yeah. they take them off and they're mutants we uh, guess because they're weird looking yeah. Because they got stuff on their face, and yeah. they could shoot fire and stuff. Sure. But here we learn that he's going to be transferring his... Bo- uh, his consciousness, His consciousness basically. into Oscar Isaac. <laughs> into bald Oscar Isaac. Because if I could transfer my... Con- who, who has... Who has... He can heal. He can they heal. They cut him, and then yeah. he heals up right away. So they're like, yeah, you need this. Yeah. Oh, you gotta have the healing powers. <laughs> gotta, it's great. Gotta have this one. Yeah. Uh, so and, while they're transferring his consciousness, the humans will lead a rebellion... And they seal him inside this giant pyramid under the, under the earth, yep. uh, so that he'll never be seen. Yes. Modern day. Flash forward to 1983. Flash forward to one of the six subplots going on in this movie. <laughs> um, where do we start? Um, I'm not even sure that I remember where they started. So uh, I believe it was in East Berlin. We see. Yeah, we in East Berlin we see Rogue and eh, not Rogue. We see Mystique is rescuing Nightcrawler from like a mutant cage match. Yeah, he's fighting mm-hmm. a guy Cock with fight. wings, he's yeah. fighting angels, flying around. Uh, the most intolerable looking person ever. Just looking at that guy who played Angel made me mad. Yeah, he he looked like a kind of like a hooligan. I mean, you it's, know, one of the things that drives me crazy about the X-Men movies and I know we'll get into this a little bit later is that the X-Men are very like you don't have to cram as many characters as you do into these movies yeah. and make them much more memorable. Yeah. So you have like Angel, who actually, as I just stated in an earlier segment, is one of the founding members of the X Men, and here they put him as a supporting character in the background as a villainy character who's just so unmemorable and so. Like I just hate looking at him. I, I kept forgetting he was the fourth one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and the other one. It's <laughs> pretty much how yeah. it went. Yeah. So Nightcrawler fights Angel, and uh, Mystique is able to save him and take him out. And Nightcrawler, who you know, he's a German. I'm Kurt Wagner. I can disappear. I'm blue, and I look like a devil, and blah blah blah. All this stuff. Yeah. Um. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> Subplot two down. Subplot three. We learn that Rose, uh, uh, what's her last name? Oh, well, Moira McTaggart. Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne. Yeah, I was yeah, going to yeah. say uh, Rose McGowan, but Rose, uh, she no. hasn't done anything since, like, Scream. No, so, she, yeah, she gets, she's the one who, who acts, I guess she kind of sets it yeah, she does. off, so yeah. it's kind of her fault, although you've got to imagine, I mean, the sunlight just sort of. So yes. she discovers she she's tracking these cults. Wait, wait, we're in Cairo, which is so stereotypically uh, like movie in Cairo because you see the minarets and you hear the background. And you're like, ah! 
<laughs> it's like the call yeah. to prayer, and you're just like, oh man, could they get any more stereotypical? Yeah. Oh you yeah. Know, and if, like, and well, they do get a little stereotypical a little bit later, where they have a thief in the market, and they're like, I'm going to cut off your hand. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what are we watching? His, Aladdin. <laughs> his knife was not scimitary enough. <laughs> no, no. That's no, what no, I wanted. Not at all. It's like, uh, yeah. So uh, Rose Byrne is tracking. Moira McTaggart is is tracking these. Uh, these hooligans who are trying the, the to like, cults of the cult of the apocalypse, and so they're worshiping him where he's been buried. They've got a tunnel down there, but but so she so she knows the secret entrance. She opens it up, and by leaving it open, the sunlight comes in, and it looks like that's pretty much what activates the sun hitting his sort of tomb. But apocalypse like, powered I mean, by photosynthesis. A, it was a few. I don't know, it was like a few hundred yards maybe away from, like, the hole. Like, that can't be the first time sunlight has hit that. I mean, it was right there. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's like... Like, a, five feet away, like... Well, when it hits the well of the soul at a certain part of the day... Right, it tells you... Yeah, it tells you where the Ark of the Covenant's buried. Yeah. yeah. Take it back one kadam for the Hebrew God. <laughs> so yeah. then we've also got... Who else we've got? We've got... Well, we uh, got the X-Men up in Westchester. Yeah. Or however they pronounce it, Wit Wista and w- and Wista. They're up in Wista County. I don't know. That's in Boston. No, they're up in Westchester, uh, New York, uh, at the Xavier, uh, Xavier's School for the Gifted. Yeah, Scott that's, Summers. Oh, that's right. Is getting his powers. His eyes are itchy. His allergy uh, season. I'm surprised they didn't say like Summers. Your eyes are so bloodshot. You know, it's like here's some Visine. This yeah. will help you out, man. Dry red, red eyes. eyes. Yeah. Clear eyes is awesome. And of course, we have the stereotypical 80s bully where he's just like, yeah. what's up, asswipe? Looking at my girlfriend, Summers. Yeah. Yo, what's up? And then he's like, no, dude. And he shoots him with the laser blast yeah. and he's, you know. Laser blasts out of coming out of his eyes. You know, actually, Cyclops' powers, I don't know how they explain it in the movie universe, but in the comic book universe, his eyes are actually portals to a dimension of pure kinetic energy. Oh. So every time he opens his eyes, the kinetic energy comes out because they're portals. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. My lasers is fine. Yeah. You know, that that, <laughs> that explanation I just told you, worst thing ever. <laughs> Whoever I, came up with that, dumb. Yeah. Eye lasers is just yeah. easier. Yeah. It's just... It's just he shoots well, lasers. Because yeah. his brother, who looks like a weird version of, uh, of the kid from The Mask with, like, human fa- makeup on... <laughs> Uh, he takes him over to, to Xavier. He's Havoc from the first movie. I didn't even know he survived. The first I, movie. I didn't even know that was him. I was like, I don't know. Does his brother have power? I was very confused. And then I like kind of vaguely remembered. Yeah. In the comic book universe, Havoc is actually Scott's younger brother, who's also on the X-Men. He joins later. Ah. Yeah. yeah. So, But now here he's the older brother who's like, you know. Why not? He's not played by Bill Paxton from Weird Science. <laughs> Chet. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so that's that's storyline, I think, three at that point. I don't, yeah, I don't even know. Uh, and then we uh, Magneto is in uh, Poland. He's in Poland. Working in the steel mill We're with gonna... Lech Walesa. <laughs> you know, he's got a solidarity party, going to take down the communists. Yeah. Surprised they didn't see, like, a big portrait of Pope John Paul II up on the wall. <sighs> this movie was not 80s enough for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, uh, and he's got a wife and kids in the cabin, in a, like a cabin in the woods, and the second you see the wife and kids, Kevin goes, oh, they're gonna die. <laughs> it was very, just, oh, these people are not long. No, they're not long for this world. Uh-uh. Um, and so, yeah, so, 
there we are. The the whole thing is as Moira sets off this pyramid, Apocalypse mm-hmm. gets out, Oscar Isaacs, looking much better than he did in all the pre-production photos, let me tell you that. Yeah, there was an improvement there. Yeah, they definitely took, like, they were like, oh, people don't like this. Let's go back and spend a little money and clean people this up. People do not like that he looks kind of like Ivan Grimace from McDonald's <laughs> with a fake rubber nose. <laughs> Nothing can stop the Grimace, Kevin. Nothing. <laughs> So, <laughs> we'll destroy this world and build a better one <laughs> with fries. <laughs> Professor McDonald. <laughs> Ronald McDonald's in a wheelchair for some odd reason. Oh, it's awful. Um, <laughs> the hamburger is Magneto. <laughs> you know what we do to thieves? They're going to cut his arm off for stealing hamburgers. <laughs> I can't understand. It's what I do. <laughs> it's what I do. Yeah. So as um as Apoc- as apocalypse is is out of the pier- out of the the ground, he's got to go find his four acolytes. You know, he's got to go. You know, his four horsemen, yeah. if you will. He needs that for reasons. Yeah, for reasons. He just uh, has to have them. He finds a. Thief. He's like, my name doesn't really make any sense if I don't have Here four horsemen. So. Yeah. <laughs> Here them. we're introduced to uh, a thief in a Cairo marketplace, and it's not Aladdin. No. Even though it should have been. I was like, one jump. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a girl. It's Alassin. Alassin. Oh, I see yeah, what you did there. See? <laughs> um, <laughs> the apocalypse is able to save her, and he's like, you ain't never had a friend like me. And uh... <laughs> his power, I like that his power a lot of the time is just like, you're a building now. Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, he can he just like, kind of puts you in a wall. He's he like, like you're in the wall. <laughs> he can construct and deconstruct matter is what it looks like. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, ah, you're a wall. <laughs> you're ground. <laughs> Got a little boot sticking out of the ground. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do about this? Um, yeah, Storm takes him to go see Caliban, who's like running an underground mutant railroad out yeah. of East Berlin. Yeah. And there was not enough craft work in any of those Berlin scenes for It was my not German enough for no. me. No. It should no. have been like a weird... Some Falco. Some weird loft space of some sort. <laughs> some Falco, some Hasselhoff maybe playing. Yeah. Actually, there was Hasselhoff in this movie. Knight Rider was playing in uh, with uh, Quicksilver's room. Oh. Yeah, yeah so we did get some true. Hasselhoff. We did get Hasselhoff. Yeah. Good. Good for us. Um, and there we're introduced to... Horseman number two. The intolerable Olivia Munn as Psylocke. <laughs> I liked her for a brief pe- for a brief period in like the late 2000s, and I'm just like, ah, yes, it's, you're, no. I don't, I, I don't really know what she's from, other than like, I know she did like one of those nerd shows. Yeah, she did G4, she did Attack of the Show for a brief, yeah. for a while. She was in a nerd show, and just like, God help you if you were a girl on a nerd show, because yeah. the internet will will love and hate you at the exact same time, and usually the hate will win out. Yes, the hate will always win out. Yeah. Uh, so we had Horseman 2. It's like Apocalypse is just like, you'll do. Right. He's like, I need to find the most powerful, and it's just like, he just met four of them. Like, he didn't end up... Yeah, he didn't seek out the most powerful. No, he was just yeah. like, well, and then it's like, I'll make you more powerful. So, like, he made her, her like, laser hand sword glowier, and it was like, I gave you a 
I gave you more hand sword. And she's best, like, oh, more hand sword. The best part is, is when she turns into a whip, and I think I just went, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you sort of audibly groaned <laughs> at one point. I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Nonsense. Yeah, they, yeah, she takes him, then yeah. Psylocke takes him She's like, let's Angel. go see Angel, because they were buddies? I guess. But, I'm not really sure why. I mean, like, how is he powerful? He has wings. That's he has it. wings. I also assume that because, so just the fact that he has wings doesn't seem like enough because he can fly. So yeah. I also assume that his bones are hollow. Oh, hollow bones. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, just putting wings on yourself would not give you flight. But No. But he's got hollow bones, and yeah. so his bones, he's lighter than air, so he can fly itself or his flight. I, the, the only reason why I think they included Angel in this movie is because... The apocalypse storyline in the actual comics for X-Men, Angel plays a very, very important role. He, he becomes Archangel with his, with the metal wings, which he gets in this movie, uh-huh. and he becomes much more central to the plot of the actual comic, and I think they just threw him in there as a kind of nod to the comic. You can take these, these metal wings and, and fly and learn to fly. Learn to fly. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not as, as up on my Mr. Mr. lyrics as I could be. I'm the one who wants <laughs> to be with you. I don't think that's Mr. Mr. Yeah, it is. Isn't I think it? it's Mr. Big. Oh, you're right. It is yeah. Mr. Big. Yeah. From Sex in the City, I think. <laughs> I think. I believe so, yeah. <laughs> it's the same guy. Uh, I, I anyway, four. we got a little off track. Uh, We're talking about better things. X-Man um, number, I mean, Horseman yeah, number that, four. Well, this is the part where um, Magneto is working in this. Working in oh, he is number mine. four. See, I yeah. did it again. We just talked about him, and I already forgot about Angel. Yeah. Jesus. All right, so, so now yeah, he's got his he's, four. He's working, no, he's working in the in the steel mill, and then one of the, when Apocalypse is released, it kind of creates this. Our earthquake, and then the steel, like, big vat of molten steel is about to fall on a guy, and Magneto, is like, who's been trying to hide who he is, yeah. sees about to fall on someone, he pushes it he out of the way. saves him. And then, they're, since they're in communist Poland, everyone turns on each other in a right. moment's notice. <laughs> Immediately, because yeah. they're like, I can get his bread. Yeah. <laughs> I can get his wheat ration. <laughs> yeah. I can get his vodka ration for day. <laughs> it's okay, we Polish, we do this. Um... So the secret police come to his house and steal his kid. Um, and Kevin's like, oh, this is going to be that. Well, yeah. And so they come and they don't have any like guns or anything, nothing metal, because they yeah. know he's Magneto. And he's like, I'll turn myself in. Just don't hurt my daughter. Yeah. His daughter gets very upset that he's getting taken away. And apparently she's a mutant, too, and she can control animals. Yeah, it's sort of it's the first time you see her, she's like, hang out with deer, de- little deer buddy. And so it's like, oh, because she do something with animals, and then, yeah, yeah, she gets upset, and all the birds attack them. And the one stupid guy standing there, Lord of the Rings style, with <laughs> his like Legolas. arrow drawn in his bow, is just like, whoops. And the arrow... I mean, to be fair, he was getting attacked by yeah. birds, but... <laughs> ah, ravens! <laughs> but to just, yeah, to just let it go, and a good shot. It's a murder, Kevin. It's a murder of crows. <laughs> he took... Yeah, he took both, both of them, them out, out with his one arrow. Yeah, that doesn't even have a metal tip, mind you. It just has a wooden tip. Yeah. Or well, whatever. I mean, it went through a like a six year old. So I mean, that's <laughs> trust me. You don't want to use a six year old as a human shield. They're useless. <laughs> that was her first mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so Magneto 
taking the locket off his daughter uses the locket and like shoots through all the necks of all the guys. Yeah, just kills them all. And as Kevin liked to call it, X Men Apocalypse protect your neck. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, so then Apocalypse is able to go to Magneto and be like, yeah. You're going to be a horseman number four. Magnus like, whatever. I got nothing better to do. I guess. I guess I'm going to do this for a while. Wait, I'm going to be at number four. Let me check the script real quick. Oh, yeah, here it is. <laughs> right on the script. Okay, so this is what I'm going to go do. Um, I don't have any real you know, motivation yeah. to go do this, but you know, well, that's no. what the script says. Because Apocalypse's plan is to destroy the world yeah. for reasons. Yeah. Uh, magical Hollywood reasons. That don't matter because that's just what he's gonna do. Yeah, that's his job. Meanwhile, we will build a better one. How? What does that mean? Doesn't matter. He's uh, gonna destroy the world. And so now, that's it. CNN was able to go into Poland, <laughs> communist Poland at the time, <laughs> right. to report that right. Magneto has been found. Yeah, eighties CNN. Yeah. And, we're, and this is before the 24-hour news cycle, so this was just, like, the news. I, I, I did. It was so bad. And that's one thing that bothered me, because I was like, did CNN exist in 1983? Because who the hell had cable in 1983? I think so, but I don't know that it was... Yeah, maybe not 83. Yeah. I don't know. But, it was really weird. But the 24-hour news channel did not exist. No. That wasn't a cable channel. So, so, there, so Quicksilver sees this on TV... And uh, he goes to the uh, Xavier uh, uh, the X Men mansion to go find out about Magneto because we don't really know, but uh, he's Magneto's son. We've talked about that on the Avengers podcast. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because there's two Quicksilvers in the movies, yeah. which is needlessly confusing. And both of them are in the movie Kick Ass. So there you go. That's just even more confusing. <laughs> so the uh, the as he's going up there. Uh, Xavier is using Cerebro to go try and find Magneto. And that connects to Magneto's... And uh, uh, Apocalypse is able to take control. He uses it, sets off all the nuclear missiles in the outer space so there's no more nuclear bombs out there. And then he blows up the X-Mansion trying to steal Xavier. CNN was founded in 1980. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, so it was around. Um, best scene in the movie. Quicksilver. Yeah, saving all the people. Sweet dreams by the Eurythmics. Running around. There was your 80s soundtrack, yeah. your 180s did, soundtrack. Did the Eurythmics even come out in 1980? Was that Sweet Dreams? Yeah, that even? album was... Yeah, okay. I want to say that album was 83. Touch. Touch, I believe okay. that's what yeah. it was called. 82, 83. Yeah, All it would have right. been, been big at that time. Yeah. Um, not the... Uh, not the... I don't know. I like the song. I, I like the scene. It was an odd choice. Very Because odd I choice. don't know that... Because So we had talked about this a little bit while we were watching the movie but you know he's walking right he's in that scene he's wearing a rush, rush. t-shirt which is fo which is funny i guess i mean it's kind of a kind of a dumb joke but it's like oh ha, ha. like but there was a lot of that yeah I, was, I think we'll get into a little bit when we talk about kind of the movie and so, itself yeah like, and this so, is one of my issues i have with this movie you would think it would be like um like i ran so far away by exactly. the black seagull it's like you think exactly it would be more more on the nose with the and song I choice, ran. yeah, and it's like oh, because he's running. But actually, and, they, <laughs> and the thing is, is I that. Get it. But the thing is, is they used that song earlier in an Arabic translation, or when, it just sounded a lot. Like no, it, it was that because I saw it up on the screen. They, oh, they met, yeah, oh, okay. I was looking at nice. for it. So they did use that in Arabic translation for when Storm is running away after she gets. Ah. And I'm like, ah, yeah, singer. Sing <laughs> 
I'm sure there's another 80s song around that time that has run, run or fast or speed or quick. Yeah. Something in the lyrics, not... Uh, Actually, I think Flash Gordon came out in 84, so Ooh. it would have been a little late for it. But I mean, I bet you doing like the Flash Gordon theme song yeah. as he's running through the house. That would have been perfect. Like, yeah. The Queen, Flash Gordon. Dun, 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 dun. Flash! Uh, it's a miracle! Oh, it would have been so great. Anyway, uh, the mansion blows up, and all of the... Uh, luckily, Scott Summers and Jean Grey, who are having like a weird teeny bopper romance thing going on there, they went took Nightcrawler and Jubilee to the mall. <laughs> in a big scene that they've been hyping in all the commercials that's c- completely cut from the movie. Oh, is it? Yeah, there's... I, like, didn't, I didn't, haven't really watched a lot of the trailers. Yeah, yeah you don't have... TV, I, I see them all the time. But I mean, like, there's a bunch of stuff that happens in the mall, not in the movie at all. Huh. Yeah, I mean, like... I mean, for that three-hour director's cut. Yeah. I mean, like, they go see... Like, they, they get, they're like, all right, free day, we're going to the mall. Let's go see Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I get it. I would have wanted to go see Return of the Jedi sure. in 83 as well. Yeah. If I traveled back in time, was able to go see Jedi in the theater. Actually, uh, yeah. yeah, I did read something about how Jubilee's uh, a lot of her scenes were cut, and yeah, it just seemed like that's that was probably most of them right there. Yeah, because she didn't do anything else. Yeah, she was kind of uh, yeah, because Stryker shows up in the helicopter. Yeah, and he's like, ah, oh, we're gonna take this one, this one, this one. Who else is important to the plot? This one and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this one over the here. The other ones will just follow us. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so he's uh, he takes all of them, and Nightcrawler, Jean Grey, and Cyclops are able to like bamf onto the pl- onto the helicopter and hide. Yeah. As they get taken to the I, what, what's the Groom Lake facilities? I think it is. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever the secret base. Yeah, secre- number six four three. Secret base in Canada that you see in the first movies. Hold on, just one second. Yeah, so they take him to the secret lake facilities, and uh, oh, they're gonna get a break out. Striker doesn't know what's going on. He's like, "What's going on?" And they're like, "We don't know." And he's like, "What's going on?" We don't know. And that goes on for far too long. <laughs> it's it's quite the lengthy. Oh I don't know God. if that was supposed to be the big, some big escape sequence, but it was just, it just kept going. It did, and well. The, the three teeny boppers, Nightcrawler, Cyclops, and Jean Grey, because Jubilee was just kind of left behind. They were like, yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. Oh, we forgot to mention that Havoc, a Cyclops' brother, was killed in the mansion when the whole thing blew up. Yes. Apocalypse showed up, and he mind-melded with yes. Professor X. Did you mention he sets off all the nukes? Yeah, he set off all the nukes. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, that must have been when I was looking up CNN. <laughs> yeah, so that happened, and they disappeared, and then... yeah. They gotta go save him. So they go. They go there, and all oh, they find a box that's got a guy in it. Who, who could be in this Who's, box, Kevin? He's an animal. He's an animal. But no, he's a man. He's some sort of animal man. <laughs> <laughs> he's some sort of manimal. <laughs> uh, and they unlock it as the soldiers are pouring in. And guess who comes out? Wolverine, aka yeah. Logan, uh, coming out in full Weapon X gear with the helmet on, the cybernetics, and all the stuff coming out of him. Straight out of the comics. I thought that was one of the cool scenes, in my opinion. Just because I was like, I was like, oh, I know that he's going to be in this movie, but where is he going to be in this movie? And I was like, oh, this is exactly how I want him to be in this movie. So Wolverine literally is the deus ex machina of this movie and uh, kills all the soldiers in the base, allowing everyone <laughs> to escape. Yeah. 
Oh, that ha- before having a touching moment with Gene, where she uh, gives him a little g- bit gives, of his yeah, memory back, and his name says Logan. Ah, yeah. Uh, forgot to mention, by the way, Gene Gray being played by Sophie Turner from uh, Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, fine in this movie. Yeah, I yeah. Imagine. Doing an American accent, not great for. It was not spectacular, but no. uh, you know, just kid, just figure it out. Yeah, she figure it out. I mean, she's no Hugh Laurie. Uh, uh, yeah, so the Jean's like, I know where we're gotta go. We gotta go to Egypt. So they fly to Egypt and they have a big old battle where uh, they're able to. It's a lot of just at this point. The rest of the movie is a lot of sort of standing and like moving your arms, your hands slowly. Yes. Yeah, so that in post production they can make all the things fly around. I was so bored during this whole sequence because we can talk about it later but like i i i it it's just it's like again with the with the uh, the earth and the buildings and yeah exploding I, and it's just i'm it's i'm over it i'm yeah. so bored there was a pretty cool scene uh before that where uh magneto destroys auschwitz like the remains of auschwitz which i thought was kind of cool yeah. I thought that was kind of like weirdly cathartic for him and kind of neat how that works. But yeah, Magneto ends up like destroying all the buildings with his super magnetic field powers that he now has. Yeah. Uh, Apocalypse is going to transfer his. It's not entirely clear what he's doing. No. He's just making metal move around and yeah. he's moving ships in other parts of the world and stuff. Yeah, there was. Um, yeah, and uh, um, Apocalypse's whole plan is to transfer his body, his consciousness, into Charles Xavier's mind so he can get the powers to be omniscient. Right. Or omnipresent. Um, yeah. And he control everyone in the world, which makes a, log- a lot of logical sense. Sure. Um, it's a big, crazy CG green screen set piece in the yeah, ruins the, of Cairo. You can't help but compare the fight scenes, the superhero fight scenes, to the fight scenes in Civil War, which we just talked about in the last episode, that we really liked yeah and we thought that those fight scenes were really well done and of course there was sort of the undercurrent of like they're friends so they're not really trying too hard like these obviously don't have that no but yeah it was a lot of just like oh and then over here and then oh and then Psylocke's gonna come out and she's got a sword and then Beast hits her with a car and yeah it was and then some other guys hide and then Scott Summers looks at you he looks hard at you he looks mm, I'm gonna shoot my laser eyes at you looking my eyes are portals (laughs) yeah so uh, (laughs) Xavier gets uh, Xavier gets into his mind he tries to fight him in the mind but he can't beat Apocalypse the only way he could defeat him is if he unleashes Jean Grey because she has some power stuff and that scene wasn't weird enough like if you're gonna go inside characters minds you can do all kinds of really crazy like dolly-esque yeah like, goofy stuff like anytime you're like, going inside Asher, a character's mind yeah i want that kind of like you free reign because just you wrote that in to just say like we can do whatever we want and all it was is just like like, You're in my house now. And it's like he was literally in his house. In the house. And then he gets real big and then he beats him up. And that's the end. Yeah, it's like, no, Xavier, you're in your mind too. You could get just as big. Right. It just kind of was just 
oh, that didn't work. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You're no should, imagination. It should be like like an Escher painting or Salvador Dali or... It could have been the big sequence because that would have been how they would have fought. And it would have really shown sort of them instead of them just sort of talking about their powers, which is what they mostly did. Yeah. It, that could have been sort of your big action thing. And yeah. it was not that. And then, so Jean Grey comes forward for unleashing her powers... And she walks on air a couple steps, yeah. and it looks so terrible. It did not look great. It looked awful, and she's able to strip away uh, Apocalypse's armor, psychic ability. It was, the mo- it was very clear the moment where it stopped being like a real like set. a place, and she like walk onto a green screen. The, yeah, the the foot like it was. Yeah, ugh. Yeah, it was not done well. Ugh. And she unleashes it and. Then everyone gets to use all of their stuff and move all of their hands. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so it's like, it like storm comes onto the good guy's side because you know because yeah, of like, reasons. I don't like this guy. Yeah. I don't like what he's about. Yeah. But Cyclops, it's because well, she. Well, okay, I will say it's when it's the she's starting to doubt, and then remember yeah. she's a big fan, just like all the kids are big Mystique. Fans. Oh yeah, that's right because Mystique. And she is has there. a poster of Mystique. She's like, she's my hero. I want to be her. She spells it out in the beginning, and, and then he's is, trying to kill. He almost yeah. kills her. Well, she's Mystique is really important to the plot because. Um, she has a contract for three X-Men movies. <laughs> I was going to say, she's like the only character given any real... Well, I shouldn't say that. Her and Fassbender are really the two actors whose characters get a certain amount of depth. And yeah. it helps that we've been introducing them before. Even McAvoy just kind of... McAvoy know, really just, phones it in this he movie. He sits around and he's just kind of like, well, you he, have to... He just repeats the same thing over and over again, like, this is my school and I want to help the kids. Yeah. And this um, is a good world. We'll get we'll get into that a little bit, I think, in the next segment. Oh um, no, my hair! Oh no, my hair! My hair's gone! I'm bald! My beautifully feathered locks. <laughs> Oh man! So yeah, so the the movie ends. They're back at the Xavier and Xavier. Why do I want to keep saying Xavier because I went to St. Xavier's, um, the, the Xavier Institute, and the Jean Grey and Magneto are rebuilding the school. So like the end of every X Men movie, Magneto is now a good guy again. Yeah. For like, and he's like, "Won't you stay?" And he's like, "No, not this time. Not until another person I love is killed and I get forced to the wrong side again." It's a good thing I have another kid I don't know about. Oh. Well, that's yeah. That's another one that we'll we'll the, the next segment, and then uh, so the school the story ends. Yay! Everyone's happy and like they get in the danger room fight scene against the yeah. Sentinels. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the end. Credit. Credit. Credits. Credit. Credits. Makeup artist to Jennifer Lawrence. Key grips. <laughs> and at the end, you get the stinger where you find out that the Essex Corporation goes to the Groom Lake facility, uh, takes the weapon X Blood and uh, Essex is actually the Shell Corporation for Mr. Sinister, another X-Men villain. So. So, um, production notes, nothing crazy on this one. Um, 
everyone was contractually obligated to three movies. So uh, McAvoy. <laughs> so Fast here Bender. it is. Yeah, here's movie number three. <laughs> um, they were they brought back Rose Byrne from uh, the first movie, and uh, also the kid who played Havoc. Not that it really mattered because he wasn't. He's not he like he kind of looks like Matt Smith from Doctor Who. Um, yeah. Sophie Turner, I think, was the big casting coup uh, for Game of Thrones. She's she's so hot right now for Game of Thrones, which is really funny because the girl who plays Arya Stark is also rumored to be in the X-Force movie that'll be coming up as well. Yeah, um, that's one of those, it's being denied, it's being denied. And whenever that happens, it's usually like, yeah, it's, yeah. that's happening. And then this is actually, I believe this is Singer's fourth X-Men movie. Singer had done X-Men and X-Men 2. He did not direct X-Men 3, I do not believe. I'm not 100% sure on that. He didn't direct the first one. First Class, I believe, was directed by Matthew Vaughn. And then Singer came back to do Days of Future Past and this one. So I believe this is his fourth X-Men movie. Fifth comic book movie, if you want to include uh, Superman Returns on there as well. I do not. No. Um, <laughs> this movie's already made like $250 million, and we this is like the second day it's been out, so... There you go. This movie's a success. I believe it had a budget of $170 million. Um, nah. It's not going to do Deadpool numbers, but it'll probably do pr- fairly well. People love the X-Men movies. It's a Memorial Day weekend, too. It's a yeah, good open. it's a good open, um, yeah. I'm, I'll be curious to see. We can check uh, you know, Box Office Mojo later during the week because um, they'll probably tell us how it did historically on Memorial Day. Um, it's really hot in Chicago right now. Actually, it's not really that hot. It's muggy. But it's, it's very humid. It's warm. Um, people are going to go to the movies. Yeah. Um, it's going to be like... Help. It's going to be like that scene in Cape Fear where it's just like me sitting in the background smoking a giant cigar, <laughs> laughing out loud, and <laughs> <laughs> kicking Nick Nolte's seat. The X symbolizes the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what we were doing in the movies. Is it? A little bit. We weren't that obnoxious. No. No, we were at the stupid theater that has the big roll around squeaky office chairs. Yeah. So anytime it was even remotely quiet, it was just... <laughs> Magneto, I <laughs> that was our entire movie experience, and then the kid coming by, you need another soda. Kevin, I hate that movie theater so much. I I would rather go to that one than the one we went to to go see Deadpool, where you had to sit through. I know the previews twice because we've been to that movie theater twice so far this year. Well, I've been a few times. We've gone together twice, twice. to see movies back to back. And the projector had problems once we had to get moved to another theater. Um, It's a mess out here. (laughs) Save us, X-Men. It's a garbage mess. Um, So, the X-Men Apocalypse. Um, This movie, as I said earlier, I'm giving an F for Faulkner because it's (laughs) a movie that's full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Nothing was accomplished by this movie. Um, Where to begin? Um, so my problem with this movie, and obviously we just came from it, and so, you know... It's a little fresh. The wounds are a little fresh. But at the same time, it's like, what... I don't... There's nothing I'm really stewing over. There's nothing I'm really even thinking about. No, No themes I'm wrestling with. It was a very... It was fine. It was kind of a wet noodle. Yeah. A little limp. Um, I'm gonna... Can I go off on a small, tiny tangent here? You have the microphone. Um, one of the things that drives me absolutely up the wall about X-Men movies, and it's something that I know I've told you about this before, 
and uh, I'm sure anybody who's actually listened to me talk about the X-Men movies will know about this, is that the people who are in charge of the X-Men movies at 20th Century Fox have no respect at all for anything having to do with the X-Men. Basically, what they do is they say, this is the costume, this is their power, this is their name. That's all we're gonna that's all that we care about right now. We don't care about any of the history in the comic books. We don't care about their personalities. We don't care about any of their motivations of what we learned throughout their entire 60 year history of being X-Men. We don't care. Yeah. We're just gonna do it our way. And, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a terrible thing, but you could see how good the Marvel movies are at at least somewhat encapsulate in uh, capturing that magic, that thing that made them popular to begin with and translating it onto the screen. Right. The, I don't think the X-Men ever do that. Like the X-Men, there's never a twinkle in any of the X-Men movies. No, it's always kind of just like routine. Like this is a young, uh, it's no different than the hunger games to me. I don't know. That's my my tiny tangent on the X Men movies. Yeah. No. I, and 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 yeah. We've talked about that before. And 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 we were talking about um you know maybe over the course of this year since we've gone through the bulk of the 2016 big comic book movies already. We've yeah. got two more that aren't coming out until close to you know end of summer and then fall. But yeah. um, we've all summer long. We might you know discuss some of these other movies. But um. Yeah, I mean, even my minimal kind of knowledge of of who the X-Men are and their relationships, um, very little of that seems to ever materialize here. They don't seem to really even have relationships. I couldn't tell you fundamentally what other than the two characters who are the big actors who get... Really, it's the three. I mean, if you want to even consider... Uh, Professor X in this. I mean, it's just really about in as much as this movie's about anything, you've got that relationship between Mystique and Magneto just from like, this is what we were through, we went through together, like, you know, this is not who you are, blah, blah, blah. But even that was just like, okay, it, it just... This was as by-the-book comic book movie as you could possibly get. Yeah, I mean, and and the thing is, is that the X-Men as a whole, and I think they kind of do a, a fairly decent job in these, at least the last three movies of this. I mean, even the like the first few movies they did this, is that there's, the X-Men, kind of the big dichotomy that they work with is Charles Xavier and Magneto. Charles Xavier is the guy who says, no, mutants and humans can work together. Magneto is the one who says... F all that. Yeah. Mutants are the way that we go. Mutants yeah. are the wave of the future. <laughs> Humans are the worst. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, done. And, you know, he has been there. And I like that. And, yeah. I, and I've read a little bit of that in the comics as well. And because we talked yeah. about um, Age of Apocalypse, that series, yeah. um, a couple of years ago. And it was great i mean and i really liked that and i and i liked seeing that fleshed out and it's those are the strongest moments here the, yeah. the auschwitz sequence you talked about um i don't know guess that's it really everything well, and, with him even though he doesn't have much to do and even like what some one of the things that i really did like about this movie is and they, they touched on it very early and then they did nothing with it they kind of did something a little with it at the end is is that when is when charles and uh, Moira, like their little relationship thing, like it's it was kind of cute. It was kind of like 
fun to see him a little bit puppy love. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, it's like nothing ever happened because of that. It's like she was a completely useless character in this movie. Yeah, there was no real reason to have her character in there. And I like when they introduced her earlier, I was like, oh, this could be fun. Nope, didn't do anything. And <laughs> it was not fun. No, it was a lot of lead up to doing absolutely nothing. Um, and that's and that's kind of like the thing with. Uh, so you have that dichotomy. You have Charles and Magneto like playing off each other, and that's great. Uh, now they add this third weird triangle thing with Mystique, with Raven, mm-hmm. uh, with Jennifer Lawrence, because she is so popular, they had to boost her character up yeah. to be something that she's absolutely not in the comics. She's like a C-level villain in the X-Men comics. And in the comics, she's Nightcrawler's mom. Oh. so that's You know what? I think I did know that at one point. So think of that what you will um, in yeah. this movie. Which it's granted. Let's just let's not even worry about that because you know what? Who who cares about that? Let's. But I mean, the fact that they made her character so important in this movie mm-hmm. just goes to show, like, they there's so much that you could pull from. Why are yeah. you making this crap up just because Jennifer Lawrence is somewhat famous now? I shouldn't say somewhat. She is very well, very right, famous. Sure, yeah, yeah, no, she's huge. Um. And, and, yeah, and I'm, I, I mean, you know, and I, I can't really speak as well on, on, you know, that with uh, tying it to, to the comics. No, we, you we don't talked have about to. it a little me. bit, but, but I do, I liked what they did with her character of, um, this whole thing about like she needs a purpose and she's trying to do that and she doesn't really realize that all of that she's famous basically yeah. in this world. I kind of like that too. Yeah. And, that even felt flat, where it felt very like they look up to you, and it's like then she tries to like console Jean Grey, like you know, were you scared? Like no, like that was <laughs> clever, but I don't. Yeah, it just it all of it felt very by the book. It was like these are the beats your character has to has to hit. This is what you're doing. This is the script. We're done. And I, you know, I'd hate to pull in something from a movie that we haven't even talked about yet. Um, but in the second X-Men movie, X2, which I just rewatched recently, there's a very, very great scene that I'm sure we'll talk about when we see the movie, and it's when Bobby Drake, Iceman, is coming out to his parents that he's a mutant. And there's this whole kind of subtext, uh, subplot about how uh, being a mutant is is the equivalent of being gay, mm-hmm. like in the, in the early 2000s. Yeah. And so, you know, it's this scene where, you know, Bobby's parents have to come to realize the fact that he's a mutant and it's this really weird thing to do and this really weird thing for them to come to terms with. And here it's like Scott gets his mutant powers and his parents are like, well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well, because they've already been. Yeah, they've been through it, which completely, you know, it was it, it underscores. Scott's struggle with what he was doing. He just kind of became kind of a wiener in this movie. I mean, yeah. Cyclops is always kind of a wiener in these movies, but <laughs> they could have done a little bit more. You know, I shoot lasers out of my eyes. <laughs> you know? I, and uh, Jean Grey, I think she was done pretty well, but I feel like a lot of that stuff with those, with like Cyclops, Jean Grey, um, like all those, the uh, Nightcrawler, that was all set up for like the next movie, which will be called X Men Phoenix, which will all be about the Dark Phoenix saga. Trust me, I know that's what it's going to be about. <laughs> I, I, it's like 
you as you said, this is so by the book. It's yeah. so predictable. Right. I knew everything that was going to happen before I saw this movie, and I don't really know that much about these comics. So I, I was so hoping they were going to kill off Mystique in this movie. For a second there, it looked like they, they did, but yeah. I did. I remembered her saying about like you know. She may be willing to do more, in which case I was like, nah, she's not really going to die. Cha-ching! Yeah, I may be willing to make another, you know, yeah. $150 million or whatever she gets paid. I don't know what she gets paid. I actually have no idea. Well, the movie itself no only costs $170 million, so. Oh, so she, she is a female in Hollywood. So, so 150 yeah. that's true. She, she didn't get as much as uh, Nicholas Holt, I'm sure. <laughs> It's true, Nicholas Holt in this movie for the third one. Yeah, it's it's, it, it just it is so by the book, and it's like yeah. and just like every X Men ends in this huge fight sequence with Apocalypse at the end when it didn't need to. You could have had this great scene where Apocalypse is literally standing there in the center of the road, and people are trying to do stuff to him. Nothing's happening, and he's just not doing anything back. It's it's literally the mind war between him and. Professor X. Yeah. Like, you could have done something really crazy like that and have, like, the big set piece literally be in the mind of, uh, in their yeah. minds. But that, that's what, that's my biggest, uh, my biggest peeve, I guess, about this movie is, that I already mentioned, but just to really harp on it, the fact that they did nothing with that inside of the mind thing. They're like, I'm going inside his mind, and it's like, ooh, he's going inside his mind, and it was just purple. Yeah. It was and just that's purple. because, I don't know, they, I don't know what they spent the money on. I don't know what they spent the money on, but it was not effects. Well, I think one of my biggest disappointments in this movie, aside from not taking any chances whatsoever, um, it's... I like the fact this movie took place in the 1980s. That it was 1983. Um, but if you're going to do that, if you're going to make this a period piece... Make it a period piece. Engross us in the time period. Yeah. Something that Days of Future Past, I think, did very, very well. I was going to say, I feel like the other movies did that better. Maybe not as First as class, much not as, as, as much. Like, yeah. But yeah, Days of Future Past felt, I remember it being very 70s. Yeah. And, I, and I liked that movie. I think we both did. First class felt kind of 60s. The only problem is, is it, it was like, it didn't. One of the things that I think makes a, a time period a timepiece movie like that is it has to have the music of the time period. Especially sixties, seventies, eighties are known that's like the music decades. Like if you did I just did my mic just go up? No. no. Okay. I kind of felt it went out for a second. Mm -hmm. No, it's like you can't have the a movie in the eighties without a heavy eighties soundtrack. Seventy. I, I remember in Days of Future Past there was a couple seventy songs in it, and there was a couple you know in your rhythmics. If that's the big song from the eighties that you're gonna pull, like uh, you could pick so you could have so many more sequences in there where you could have eighties music and it would be great. Yeah. Um. They had a couple. And speaking of that, and this was something I wanted to mention earlier. This movie hits you over the head with its references. If you catch the references that they're making, sometimes it's a little much. Like mm -hmm. the um, the Rush T-shirt was one of them, where it's like, oh, that's clever. But it's they they showed the Star Trek episode "Who Mourns for Ed and I," uh, which uh -huh. is a, a late. I think it's season two, and it's it's about the god Apollo. The, the Star Trek finds this god in outer space, and no one wants to worship this god, right. and so he wants to use he uses his power to get people to worship him. 
And then eventually when people stop worshiping, his power fades away and they're able to destroy him. I'm like, really? Bonk, bonk on the head on that one. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't, I I disagree that that, because I don't think people caught that. I think that's one for you. (laughs) Um, And I think that that's a, that's a, knowing that, only knowing you, um, I would not have caught that. Um, Actually, yesterday, even though I saw that, even though yesterday I just uh, texted you that it's like my wife's out of town, I'm going to watch Star Trek, <laughs> and you sure did. Um, I, I I I I like that. I think that's a good, that's kind of a fun thing to do. But there was a cumulative effect of all of those things, like taken individually, each of those was fine. But there was a lot of that, like the the big penultimate one at the end being, or not at the end, but when Magneto turns back to the side of good and he has the two big pieces of metal that drop in front, in front of, of X. The, create uh, the X. Uh, yeah, apocalypse in the shape of an X. And, we're, and you're, <laughs> you loudly yell, the X symbolizes the X-Men. <laughs> and, and that was pretty much exactly what it was it was yeah. too much it was there, too blatant there was a there was a couple other ones like uh one of the ones that i actually kind of liked was there was a scene where uh right when he's talking with apocalypse is talking to magneto and he's like you know he's like i can offer you all of this come and see and actually book of revelation uh revelation six is is that uh it says and i saw the lamb opened one of the seals and i heard as it as if the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, "Come and see." Ooh, I know. I, I, the only reason I know that Some is biblical stuff. I only reason I know that is for the Johnny Cash Four from Americana <laughs> series, where he he actually quotes that. that nice. He, he goes into that um, uh, his song about the apocalypse. I, I can't remember the name of it right now. So it's a great song. Kevin used that at this segment. Okay. okay uh, <laughs> um, will do. Will do. Uh, and. Yeah, there, there's a lot of those kind of like bonk bonk on the head things that it's like, if they just weren't handled nice and well enough, where it was like, oh, that's clever, that's fun. It was more just kind of like, oh, come on. It all felt obligatory because exactly. everything in this movie felt, felt obligatory. obligatory. Just like this all has to happen so that everything else can happen so that we can get to the end of the movie. And even I felt Oscar Isaacs, who's been on a tear recently with all yeah. of his movies kind of just was underused in this movie well you couldn't i mean he was just wearing a million pounds of makeup and costuming and he's standing there all grimacy (laughs) and he's just like i'm gonna do this now and i'm gonna destroy this world and and that was it yeah very boring generic villain no um no chances taken no no choices made in a character. No, it just looked like this This whole thing was just, it was like, it was cranked out by the comic book movie Omatic 5000. Yeah. like, And, and the thing, too, is like, he could have been on, like, think about it, Oscar Isaac could have been on, like, Tom Hiddleston level for Loki. You know, he's a great actor. Yeah. He he could do subtle stuff, He, but he just, it was nothing, no, no choice. Made in that character. There wasn't much for any of them to do. I mean, no. I think that's the problem, is they were just playing these characters, and they knew the bare minimum that they needed to know, and they just read the script and got it done. I mean, and, like, Magneto, too. It's, like, well, Fassbender, your boy, Michael Fassbender. You love Michael Fassbender. Yeah. You even watched 
what was that movie where he was the porn the the <laughs> sex addict? The uh, that would be the 2011 movie Shame. Yeah, you even watch Shame, and uh, like he, uh, like he's a great actor. And, sure, and even in the he pulled the emotion. Like you saw the emotion in his face. He that was, but it was like that's also got Carrie Mulligan in it. Yeah, who's also great. But he was just like <laughs> it was almost like acting class level emotion, like. Fassbender doesn't need to have his wife and child die in front of him in order to pull up those emotions. Yeah. Why was that included in this movie? To give him motivation to go destroy things. His mother and father were killed by Nazis, Kevin. But he got over that by being in Poland, somewhat ironically. <laughs> I know. Like, what, 20 miles from Auschwitz? He's, he's gotten <laughs> over it? It, 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 didn't, it didn't have to be there, like, that entire subplot. Like... Did you have to kill a wife and kid just because? Yes. You, they, like, yes, they did. And that's the level that they that the people who produce this, Brian Singer, he, A, thinks of his actors, that they need motivation like that in order to pull up that type of emotion, and B, his audience in that, oh, of course Magneto's got to do that. His wife and kid died. It's like, no, we don't have to have it that way, but that's what you. Tr- that's how you treat your audience. You treat us like we're dumb. It's the exact opposite of Civil War, where Civil War treated its audience like maybe not that we're smart, but that we can make a decision, that we can we, we can, can inf- follow infer. along. Yeah, right. We can follow along, and we know enough about these characters and their relationships. That's the problem here: is that we're in the third of these movies, but I don't know that a lot of those relationships have been established, other than sort of those those friendships and i i feel like yeah the xavier magneto rivalry really wasn't even at play here i no. don't think that it factored in it was just like you're on the side of the bad guy for uh, right now so we're gonna have to fight you and then oh you got over it and i think you mentioned this earlier when we were talking we were in line for the movie that i that we think audiences are burnt out this is it's been six weeks and we've gotten Batman versus Superman, Captain America Civil War, and now X-Men Apocalypse. And, and Deadpool was actually not that long ago either. Yeah, I mean, but we're I mean, still like, in the first half of the year, and we've had four of these already. But those are the big three, I would say. But I think that this movie was just Fox saying, like, hey, guys, we can compete, too. Here's our superhero movie. <laughs> and they rushed this out. They felt like there was no polish on this movie whatsoever. No. The effects were terrible. Yeah. And I, I felt like it was just lacking in everything. And not to say it wasn't, it didn't hold my interest throughout the entire thing. I was like, I kind of like, I was like, okay, let's see where this goes. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, we, we, we sound, we're, we're being pretty critical. Um, but I think both of us were kind of just like, meh yeah. on the whole movie. Like, which di- which is, I guess, better than saying it's awful. It was yeah. better than Batman v Superman, um, I think. But not a yes. lot better. Uh, yeah, I would say I it was not a lot better. What did I give that? A, a C? I think I gave that movie a C. I think I gave it like a C plus, but I think it's like a lot of what Batman versus Superman, a lot of why I gave it that high of a grade was because it's it sparked a lot of debate. And that yeah. it actually, it tried to do a lot of stuff and it took a lot of choices. It made bad choices, but it tr- it tried. Yeah. This movie did not try. No. It was well, it was a wet noodle. It was a, a very very wet noodle of a movie.
right, so our recasting. Uh, we're going to recast this movie as a Brian Singer movie uh, in the early 2000s. So we're going to try and do X-Men as somewhat in the early 2000s. Um, mm-hmm. So we have Brian Singer's already directing it. So let's start off right off the bat. Uh, your your Charles Xavier. Who's going to be your Charles Xavier, Kevin? I think we're going to be relatively similar on this we one. We might have some overlap. It'll be interesting to see if we uh, how, how we think about this. Um I will say, um, you know, actually, it's funny that they brought up Star Trek earlier because I'm actually going to go with Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Of course. If you're going to do it, I mean, the guy looks like Professor X the entire time. He clearly seems to have been based on him in some way. I think actually there was an interview with Patrick Stewart where he said he was looking at an X-Men comic and said, how come I'm on the cover of this, uh, this comic? Yeah. Yeah. It was really weird like that. Um, so I didn't even know that, but no, I, uh, I but I still went with it. Yeah. Uh, so then next, uh, Magneto. Yeah, you know, who's gonna play your fast bender in the early two thousands? Um, I went old on my. I was gonna just gonna say I I did go a little bit older just because I think it would be so funny because they're such kind of good friends now and they seem to get uh, interchangeable. Um, I went with Sir Ian McKellen. That's exactly who I went with too. <laughs> I mean, this is it's uh, really shaping up like a yeah. I mean, interesting like, movie. I don't know because he he just did Lord of the Rings at the time, so I mean, like because it was yeah right around to the get same into time. another yeah. franchise that seems harsh. But, but I uh, wouldn't even know if he'd have time to do the movie if he's like still because I think Return of the King came out in like oh four something well, like that. Oh three, they were no, really oh one oh two oh three, but they were obviously shot. They were probably yeah. already shot. Yeah. yeah, probably. Um, so how about Mystique? Um, I would tone back her character completely in this in this rewrite of the movie. I would probably just have her be like a henchman, just like she is in the comics. Yeah, um, you know, I was I was iffy. I went back and forth on a couple of uh, of different characters, uh, or a couple of different actresses, but uh, I went with someone that I know that you really like. Oh, who's that? Rebecca, Rebecca Romaine. Yes, that's who I put as wow. well. Like, wow, three in How a row. How do we say that? That's, that's at the same time. Yeah. That's kind of unbelievable. Yeah. Of all of the actresses. Pre Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Just Rebecca Romaine. Yeah. Pre. Wow. Yeah. Really She's a. Uh, yeah, I would definitely have her. I, I think she'd be great. Uh, she was kind of my Jennifer Lawrence of the early two thousands. So. <laughs> there you go. Um, what about what about um, let's say Cyclops? Who would you put as your Cyclops? Well, um, I think I we must have just uh, I guess we must have both been on the same page of just kind of making everyone a little bit older. Um, someone who uh, actually isn't really that famous now, but I feel like he was kind of a thing uh, in the two thousands. Um, I went with uh, James Marsden. Oh, great douchebag character! Yeah, oh, you'd be great for it. You know what? I it doesn't even matter who I put. I think I'll just change it to James Marsden oh, as well. Okay, yeah, um, He's a good pick. Uh, how about your Jean Grey? I have a great one for Jean Grey. Uh, you know, I uh, I couldn't find anyone whose name I could pronounce. Um, who did you go with? Um, I actually went with, from Goldeneye, Famke Jansen. Because I figure she's a uh, great looking redhead. Um, she could easily pull it off. So. A Bond girl, yeah. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> David, All you right. can pronounce. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, and so let's, uh, let's just keep going. Um, Storm, do you got a Storm? I do have a storm. I thought, let's use her a bit more, because I felt that she was really underused. You know who would be a really good pick around that time? Because she was a really big deal. Uh, I went with Halle Berry. Halle Berry? uh, Great pick. Yeah. Pre-Catwoman, before she'd kind of... Yeah. ruin that a little bit but uh i'd like to give her a chance to be in a comic book movie before that 
Um, and uh, Apocalypse. Who would you put as your Apocalypse? <laughs> uh, you know, my Apocalypse, uh, I am actually going to just, um, I think it would be funny if Brian Singer played it himself. You know what? <laughs> it's better than my pick. My pick was John Goodman, but I'm going to say Brian Singer <laughs> just because, you know, if you think about a person who could bring about the Apocalypse with their film, it'd be Brian Singer. <laughs> Who's there? What you want? Police. We've had some complaints about con men pretending to be blind and uh, crippled. Oh, I'd love to help you, man, but I ain't seen nothing since I stepped on that landmine in Viet Cong back in 72. It was rough. Very painful. You were in Nam? So were we. Where? Um, I was in um, Sang Bang, Dangang. Uh, uh, I was all over that place, basically. A lot of places. A lot of places. What unit were you in? Uh, I was with the Green Beret, uh, Special Unit Battalion's uh, Commando Airborne Tactics, Specialist Tactics uh, Unit Battalion. Yeah, it was real hush-hush. I was Agent Orange. That was my name, Agent Orange. Special Agent Orange. That was me. All right, so uh, our pick three. Uh, Kevin, why did don't we, you go? Yeah. Did we decide on one? Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we were discussing it, but did we actually pick Yeah, one? we went movies of 1983. Movies of 1983 when this film was set. set. Uh, Even though you wouldn't necessarily know... Other than well, I I I wasn't sure if they ever actually said, but you pointed out that Return, Return of the Jedi, Jedi came out. Yeah. So and uh, Up the Academy also National Lampoon's Up the Academy is also as the double bill. <laughs> is that your oh was it? Yeah, it was oh, okay. on the double I was bill. Say, up there. Is that your number yeah. three? Up the I, Academy. I, I don't know. I think that's because it was on USA's Up All Night all the time. So that's the reason why I, it stood out in my head when I saw that. Um. So uh. So let's go with your uh, 1983. What was your number three? No, oh, my, you, you I started start off, off first. You start okay. off your number three. Uh, so there's there's a couple good movies in here, and it's a little hard for me to like literally pick which one I want. So I'm gonna go with my number three. I'm gonna go with the comedy that I really enjoy watching, uh, probably the most. National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, Harold Ramis directed Chevy Chase. Um, it made Chevy Chase kind of family friendly at the time. Uh, Fantastic comedy, road trip movie. I, I only succeeded by National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation in the in the series, but I kind of prefer Christmas Vacation too. I'm not really yeah. sure why, but I still really like. Every time I catch it, like I I, I generally Christmas don't Vacation remember. hits closer to home to yeah. more people. I think because not everyone took road trips. Yeah, but I think I, everyone's been through really crappy. The road trip was yeah. very sort of of its time, like, and it was. I mean, it was a big thing coming from like the 60s, like the 50s into the 60s, but then even still into the 80s, people still did that. It was like pile into the big car. Yeah, the, the station wagon. Station wagons. Not so much minivans, but station wagons. What was, what was the thing. car in the in the Lampoons? Oh, some... God, I can't remember what it was. Some roadster. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was your number three? Um, I'm going to go with a movie that I actually saw for the first time all the way through not that long ago, probably within the last few years. Um... A movie that I always sort of wrote off as being kind of a dumb comedy until I actually watched it. And I was like, wow, okay, this movie goes strange places. Uh, I'm going with Risky Business. That's Okay, that was my number two. That's your number two, okay. Yeah. And we're not playing around like we did in the last segment. This is actually my number two, <laughs> was Risky Business, which is a, a movie that I absolutely adore. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of one of those that you just... I think because you think of like early cruise and you're like, there's so much that maybe doesn't hold up. Um, 
as well as you kind of think, but he's always still generally the best part of those movies. Um, yeah. but Joey it's, Pants. It's exactly, but it's Rebecca such a, De Mornay. It's being such an so interesting movie hot in that movie. Let me tell you this: uh, Tom Cruise's character in Risky Business was like my model of how I thought I could get girls <laughs> if I acted like him in like the early like late nineties. That's how I was trying to act like that. I was sorely mistaken, but I that movie's amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that was my number two, so you can go ahead with your number two. Well, um, <laughs> I guess my number two, and this is sort of a hastily done list. Yeah. Um I'm just sort of skimming. I haven't really sat and actually thought about it, but I'm gonna go with a movie that um Actually, it's kind of the opposite of the feeling that I had about Risky Business, where I thought it was more serious, and then you watch it, and it's a complete goof-off. <laughs> um, and that's Brian De Palma's Scarface. Ah, the Scarface! Um, it's such Robert a... Loja. You know, that's one of those movies... That movie was in my... That made my... That would be my top five. Okay. It's a movie that <laughs> I really like, but it's one of those movies that's like, I don't like it as much as a lot of people love Scarface. Um because I recognize that it's a goof. Oh, yeah. But the movie is even Looney Tunes. knowing that, going into it, knowing that it's, I don't want to call it a parody. I don't even know if it counts as satire. But just the fact that you are not supposed to think that Tony Montana is actually good at anything. Like, he's supposed to be awful. A re- just a goofy, he's ridiculous a joke. Yeah. He's a complete joke, but he manages to still rise in this power albeit temporarily he's he's like the complete opposite of like michael corleone you know are you talking about that cockroach tony montana (laughs) exactly and the accents in that movie oh Oh, it's gorgeous but it's still such a fun movie that's good to revisit i'd say every like five to ten years just to remember like god this is a weirdly constructed movie and it's such a cultural institution that well, especially kind of doesn't even deserve. Yeah. No, it doesn't at all. And the fact that like uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, like from nineteen eighty three, Michelle Pfeiffer looks just like Taylor Swift nowadays. <laughs> it's scary. I just rewatched it recently. Okay. Um. Yeah, and all the Cubans are played by white guys for some odd reason, and like brown face, and it's like really, really racist. Like absolutely, hundred percent racist. If if we didn't have an embargo against the Cubans. Like and they saw that they'd be like, <laughs> right. "What are you guys thinking?" Well, it was just lifted. Wait till they get to it. Yeah, exactly. you know, it's like suddenly they're going to be able to see it and be like, "What were you doing all this time?" They would love it. Trust That's me. True. Who doesn't love this? It's like late eighty and early eighties is right on that cusp of of. Um, it's a sweet spot because it still feels very seventies, yeah. and I think it's because it has the cocaine and the sweat, yeah, and the machine guns and the violence, and it's and it's. Pacino still in that like yeah, this the saying, dog day like Serpico, Serpico like he's yeah. still in that great like period. It's right on the cusp of him losing it. Yes, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could pinpoint, but I think it's usually the, Son of a Woman is usually the moment. Yeah, but, I but feel even like it, Son there of was a Woman a, was like there 90s. must have been a lead up. Yeah. to him being yeah becoming they, the Pacino we know now. Yeah, well, Scent of a Woman. Yeah, so I, Godfather Three was pretty bad. I think that was pre Scent of a Woman. That's true. That was, uh, what was that, 91 that came out? Or no, 80, I that was 89, 80s, 89, 89 late yeah, 80s. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, um, for sure. So uh, I'll be curious to see if we have the same number one. Maybe, we might. Maybe not. Um, so my number one, 
I have to say, because I'm a nerd, it's Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? I. All right. I. 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 If you okay. So it's our favorite movies of 1983. No movie has had more of a cultural impact on me than Return of the Jedi from 1983. Um, it's a movie that I watched a billion times as a kid. I will defend Ewoks. Um, I will. I will defend the fact that they reuse another Death Star for the <laughs> second time. That's okay. They reuse another for, one for, in the Force for, Awakens. Yeah. So it's Death Stars are not going away. No, they are not in any way, shape, or form. Got to reboot the Death Star. Um, I will. Uh, I, I just think it's it's a good conclusion. It's a really good. It's a very good movie. It's yeah. not. It, it, it's it's the, the weakest, the third, as they said, the third one's yeah. usually the worst one. Yeah, and I, but I think like part of that was like you had to deal with, um, you know, the fact that it was it, the fact that they had to wrap it all up really t- relatively quickly. Yeah, um, with George Lucas breathing down their necks, and you know, as Marquand doing his best on it, I think all he had directed at that time was like James Bond movies. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if he did James Bond movies at that time, um, but he. You know, he he had to deal with George Lucas's crazy ass ideas, and he's still able to make you feel like a fun adventure ride. And as I say to this day, no movie from 1983 has had more of an impact than Return of the Jedi. Sure. What's your number one? It's good. I think Return of the Jedi would probably be in my top five as well. Um, it is not my number one. My no. number one is uh, again a comedy. Um, it's actually not my favorite of the ensemble, but it's still pretty damn good. It's The Meaning of Life. The Meaning of Life, really? Monty Python's The, the Meaning, Meaning of, of life. life. I love a great skit movie, um, yeah. and there aren't that many, especially now. For some reason, it's a format that just does not seem to translate today. No. Um, probably just because of television. The it last was just... one I could think of was probably Kids in the Hall Brain Candy was the last one that really kind of worked good like one. that. Yeah. yeah, I would say so. Um... I, I think that one's is one that I probably didn't see as much as Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Certainly, I probably saw that more as a kid, but maybe not much more. Um, I think that was that, and uh, well, I shouldn't even say Life of Brian. I would say Life of Brian is my I would favorite. Say, yes, it's my down. favorite now, but it actually took me a long time to see that one. For some reason, it was oh. just not really around. So it was it was it was probably second was that I saw the most was, was probably Holy Grail. Grail, Yeah. And then this was the one that seemed to always be on and be around. Um, and this is my, yeah. Introduction to Monty Python. It's, it's pretty good. I mean, the Mr. Creosote, which is the, the fame, the very world famous one from that one. Yeah. Um, the, the, they all get, they all get killed from the canned salmon. And, (laughs) uh, it's like so many great little bits. The machine that goes, Ping. The, yes. Every sperm is sacred. Yeah. The, the grand, this you know, it's like, oh, there's the Catholics having another kid again. It's it's irreverent. It's kind of gross. Um, yeah. It's everything that you want. And Everybody as we said when we were kind of looking, not my favorite year for no. movies. Not my favorite. It's a weak year. I don't think that if we were to do like our top 10 movies of the 80s, I don't think any of them would be from 1983. What we should do is our top three Years of the 1980s when it comes to film. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that Because it would be time. like 89, 85, and yeah, probably I'd... like 86? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Well, 82 is good. 82 is a good year. 82's got yeah. your Blade Runner. It's got your... Uh, we won't get into this yeah. too much. Okay. But, um, so, um, by the it's way... It's got your Blade Runner, your Thing, your Poltergeist, your E.T. Yeah. 
another movie that I wanted to Tootsie. Th- yeah. Um Trading Places also came out I think in eighty three. Trading Places is great. The Right Stuff, which is a long ass movie, but it's very artfully done and I do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um it's like it's it's an old man movie. Like when you get like to your mid thirties, you're just like, I'm gonna watch the right stuff. This is about America. <laughs> this is what we should be doing. Um and by the way, uh El Pacino. So it, it definitely happened in nineteen ninety, Godfather Part Three. Then you have Dick Tracy, Frankie and Johnny, um, yeah. Incentive Woman, with Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross thrown in the middle there. But yeah, uh, w- Another 83 movie I want to mention that uh, I actually really like, um, but it, there's no way I could put it actually on my list, but it's such a silly movie, is the original Sleepaway Camp. Uh, such a weird, I, you know. Wieners. Wieners everywhere. Early slasher stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Spoilers. It's kind of like a whole crying game with slashers. I mean, if you don't know Sleepaway Camp by now, I mean, yeah, no, I know, no, I wasn't chastising. Oh, oh for I thought you were late. And a movie that neither of us mentioned um, that I'm a little bit surprised you didn't mention is a Christmas story. A Chris- I don't like Christmas story. You don't either. No. Oh my god, I didn't really. We may be the only two people on the planet <laughs> who don't like that. It. And my mother, my mother hates that movie. I, I find is it Daniel Stern who does the voiceover. Uh, no, no, it's not. It's actually the guy who wrote the story. Daniel does, Stern does the, the voiceover of uh, uh, the Wonder, Wonder Years. Years. Um, sorry. Uh, no, it's the guy who whoever, wrote, it's the, guy the, guy who wrote, wrote the, book. the book. Yeah, he does the voiceover. Did the voiceover, and for some reason it grates on me so much because it sounds like, like a made-for-TV movie. It sounds like a mixture of Daniel Stern in the Wonder Years and uh, Richard Dreyfuss from uh, the... The one with all the where they find the dead body. Why can't I think of the oh, name? Stand by me. Stand by me. It's not even this like his voice. It's literally just how it's mixed. Yeah, and it just if you listen to it, it sounds like like a like an afternoon special, after school special, <laughs> afternoon delight, um, <laughs> made for TV movie, and it rubs me the wrong way. It's why I can't watch any shows on ABC. Uh, they uh, all sound terrible. Yeah, I mean, eighty three is a rough year, man. Mm-hmm. Rough year. I don't like a lot of Christmas movies, man. Everyone loves that Christmas, movie. Christmas is not my favorite I holiday. I do not like it. Um, so, X-Men Apocalypse. What are you going to give it? I'm just going to give it a C. It's, it's like a, the shape of the elbow macaroni that this movie I'm giving uh, it, resembles. I'm giving it a C minus. I'd almost give it a D plus, but it's not, as, it's not bad enough to give it a D. It doesn't take it's, enough chances to really ever know. get anything... E- egregiously wrong. It's not offensive enough to give yeah. it a D. Like it's, yeah. it's not offensive to the senses. It's just a movie that sits there. It so really does. It's great. Is just going to sit there. And I think part of the thing that upsets me about it is they could do so much more with it. Yeah. If they wanted to, like this movie didn't need to be as complicated as it had to be. Like there was, as I said, there was six subplots in this entire movie. I counted it. Yeah. And they weren't like six like tangential subplots no they were six separate subplots that kind of just and like three of them just ended there was like no resolution to the subplot the the quicksilver subplot it was like are you gonna tell him that you're his kid nah <laughs> i'll see him around yeah 
It's, uh, Angel's uh, subplot was he died. The, well, I mean, the, the, the Nightcrawler subplot, it was like, oh, this guy's going to be important. Nope. <laughs> no, he is not. No, nope, just side character. He's he's useful because he poofs places. He poofs. He poofs. Yeah, it's like... Uh, okay. Das poof. Das poof. I, I get it at this point, the Xavier Magneto, the Charles Magneto storyline has been resolved. These two should not be the forefront of these movies anymore no have them be a backseat have fassbender come in maybe or have mcavoy come in do like three days on set do his background stuff or like all right x-men <laughs> i'm just picturing him now driving around <laughs> just <laughs> no it's, it's more like all right x-men your job today is to go and do this all right professor and then have the x-men come to the forefront and actually become part of this movie because we've now had three x-men movies in a row where there hasn't been x-men this is the first one where there's where they refer to them as x-men yeah so like let's do something with this no no i'm not gonna do it no i don't wanna yeah we're gonna have no the, x-men yeah no x-men in the x-men movies <laughs> you're an x-men all right get to the back of the line <laughs> Professor X, Professor X is played by Robert Loja. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I say that C, C minus, almost D plus, not as offensive to be a D plus. And Kevin gives it a solid C. Just a solid, boring C. This is there the, it is. When The Simpsons created the word meh, it was to describe this movie. Mm hmm. All right, so go to planetarbitrary.com for all your planet arbitrary needs. You More can... like mechs, men. <laughs> No, that one didn't work. No, that sounds like they're Mexican (laughs) X-Men. Mexican. You could follow me on Twitter at Planet Arbitrary. You could follow Kevin at... At K. White Says. You could like our Facebook page, backslash Comic Book Logic. Um, We post comic book news and uh, just a good hub for people to get together and talk about what we talk about. Um, the best way you can help out the podcast is to like, comment, subscribe on iTunes. You can give us give us five stars, and you can write that we're trash. That's the only thing that matters is the star rating. Yes. Yes. Um, the other way you can listen to us is on the YouTube page, where it's just basically a picture of the little slogan with us talking over it. So, better thing to do to help us out, iTunes. But if you can't, <laughs> if, if you're one of those people who absolutely hates iTunes, go to YouTube. I don't even subscribe to us on iTunes. I use uh, an app called Overcast. Yeah, which I really like. You give us, star- but I always. But you can also what you can do in Overcast is you can recommend the episode. Oh, there you go. And so you just hit that. You go. I recommend this, and then it. You don't have to do anything else. Yeah, that's and that's absolutely right. One of the best things you could do to help out the podcast: recommend us to your friends. I mean, word of mouth. Word of mouth. That's the way that it Say, happens. Hey, listen to these two white guys. Give their opinions. Yes. There, uh, there aren't any of those on the... Uh, aren't enough of them on the internet. There aren't enough white people with opinions on the internet. So... And the two other podcasts on the Planet Arbitrary family is uh, Game Classy Podcast, which is hosted by me, where we talk... And along with my co-host, Steve, where we talk about tabletop games. And... Uh, uh, past retro video game review podcast, aka Play On. I can never remember Play On. I always remember start off. I can only do it by saying past retro video game review podcast. Um, where, the, where Pat, uh, where Pat B and Steve talk about video games. Um, so Kevin, until the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yee. The X's mean the X Men. Comic, bullet, logic, 